0: I'm good. How are you? I'm well. Me, me too. I was. Uh, I, I started a little. We're starting a little bit later than planned because I took my uh, my dog for a walk. I, I was inspired by you, but mm. I'm not nearly as fast as you
1: are. <laughs> I, <laughs> well, I'm. I'm very. Uh, I'm very good at um, getting dog walk and lunch done. Um, uh, in a in a a, a well defined window of time, so that and, uh, that, that includes uh, uh, unanticipated events like. Um, picking up dog poop in a bag that has a hole in it, um, which is what happened today. So had to budget a little bit of extra time for hand washing in there. <laughs> nice. I, I did not budget, and I, I texted you this in, in my update.
0: I didn't budget a uh, neighbor uh, wanting to, to yell uh, at me, not, not in a negative way, but yell from their porch as I was walking by to talk about how well the pandemic
1: is going for me. Huh. Well, I I, I only know a few people in my neighborhood, and um, those uh, mostly it's just waving, so uh, no no extended discussions. Do you have – I mean, this is – I know the answer to this
0: question because you now live in a different spot, but do you – because the question I was going to ask is, do you have a different route that you're walking your dogs now that you moved? And obviously you're not driving back.
1: It would take a really long time to do the dog (laughs) walk. Right,
0: right. Is it – is it a uh, do you uh, do you have a defined dog walk loop or a route yet
1: now that you've moved? You, so, you- yeah, so that so do, do, am I am I in favor of defined dog walk routes? Absolutely. Um, and in the old neighborhood, <clears throat> sort of a standard grid pattern. And so you could kind of go up and over and around, you could go over and up and around, you know, so there's multiple permutations. And then of course there's some, you know, deviations from the grid. So you can do that. Um, in the, in the new neighborhood, if you, if you come out the front door and you turn one direction, you kind of had limited options, right? Um, if you go the other direction, then it's just a whole little neighborhood, like kind of nestled off to the side. And so you can, you have multiple options within there. And actually the first, um, new year's, new year's day, I think when the dogs were still in the kennel, uh, Kristen and I just did a giant loop walk in the neighborhood and, you know, and it's, it's interesting not to reveal too much opsec, but, um, you can, from where I live, you can walk to the New Jersey turnpike. Um, Whoa. you can't get on the turnpike cause that would be foolish, but, but it actually kind of cuts uh, you know, it cuts off, it it cuts through the neighborhood sort of, I mean, not, not like immediately. Um, but, but yeah, so, so we just sort of explored like all the way to, you know, the sign saying, um, you know, turnpike employees only, <laughs> all <laughs> others must turn back. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so, but no, but there's, 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 um, and so my, my typical habit, because now we're with this dog, dog walk, safety talk. Um, the, uh, not not like not dog talk as I texted you, um, when I when I meant to say dog walk, um, but uh, there there are so I do in the morning I do a short walk and in the afternoon lunchtime I do a longer walk. And that is that's predicated on a bunch of different things. Number one, do we run into any other dogs? Because if we do, then I've got to turn around and head a different direction, or branch, or slow down, or something. Uh, but yeah, so there's there's a, there's a quite a variety of nice um, places to walk, including a couple of dead end streets, which I've mostly stayed off of because the problem is if I'm walking to avoid other dogs, I could get boxed in on a dead end street. So
0: right, right, yeah, yeah. we we have. Um, we live in like kind of a meandering, it's not a grid like neighborhood and, and we, we live on a, um, on a street. Well, we, we live on one street that is a cul-de-sac on both ends and we live on a corner. And then the other one is a, um, kind of like a crescent. Although I believe it's a, well, I know what it's called. It's a lane, but it has two, like an a head and an and an end on the same street am i describing that in a way that you you would understand like 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 you could um there there's one sort of north south street and then my street takes a loop off at both sides of the like of that same North South street. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. So, so I do the, I do what we refer to as the loop, which is walk down to the street that goes North South, walk all the way up to the other end of our street and come back to our, to our house. And that usually takes about 20 minutes. It's it's okay. Yeah. But for the, for the dog, it's, it's eight tenths of a mile. Um, I know that cause my, my Apple watch tells me, um, mm-hmm. and, and it takes about 20, 25 minutes for the dog. He'll, he'll stop at predictably all the same places to pee and sometimes, uh, do his dog poop. Um, but, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> but, but every once in a while, it, and I guess it's like time of day, we don't, I, 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 I am, um, you know, trying to take him on more walks during the day, but I mm-hmm. usually either go. It's like usually like three o'clock in the afternoon. There's less people walking, but, but the last few times I've done it, it's during this t- like lunchtime and there's more dogs. So that's also adding, it's now no longer a 20 minute. It was like almost 35 minutes because there were dogs, there were more people. And then there was my, my neighbor who wanted to ask about how, how great my p- pandemic was. <laughs> how's, how's the pandemic going for you? Eh? That's pretty yeah, much. How's right. it working out for yeah,
1: you? Eh? Yeah. yeah. It was, it was kind of like that. It was very, it was very sweet. Um. So, yes. Yeah, so so I so I just texted you a picture of my neighborhood, um, and you can see uh, that we're actually kind of close to the turnpike, although it's not. You can't. You know, it's funny. Some depending on the w- the oh. weather and maybe the I don't know about time of year yet. You can it depend depend. Sometimes you can hear the turnpike and sometimes not. But yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're not, yeah. You're you're not too far that that's for sure, but not like right in your backyard. It's not, yeah. Well, like when we did the when we did the walk on uh, New Year's Day, we got to like within like some houses like that are like you can see they're like right and they're not right next to the turnpike, but there's nothing between them and the turnpike. And it's like oh wait, I hear a humming. Uh, <laughs> oh oh, we're we're close to the turnpike there, right?
0: Yeah yeah. yeah. Well so. So there's, there's some fun stuff here as you shared this and I won't, we won't obsect this, but what I like, what I really like about your, your neighborhood, Mm Don, is it looks like within, I I would estimate a five minute walk. There is a, a, an ice cream at place that you could, you could walk to and get ice cream very quickly.
1: (laughs) Yes. Yes, you could. (laughs) Which is great. We have. Not patronized it. Um, we have patronized the Thai place that, that you can sort of see there in the corner. Um, there's also a liquor store. Uh, that again, but again, you can't really. You have to. You can't walk directly there because there's. Uh, well, I guess that's a. Maybe that's a. I think that's a rail line. Oh um, yeah, yeah. So. But, cry, yeah. but yeah. Cool. No,
0: this is, this is cool. I, um, and you got a nice little creek that looks or well, there's water that goes through your close to your house.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's. Um, yeah, I guess it's in our it's sort of in our backyard. Um it's not it's not immediately obvious cuz I do often walk past that on the walk. Um you know what? I think uh I think that explains why I've seen water in the roads. Um because I think a lot of that is underground. Yeah, I have to I have to explore that further. Hmm. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah, I'm like learning, I'm like learning the neighborhoods, you know, like That's fun. Oh, there's the there's the lady that is uh, uh, going out on her porch to smoke. Um, here's the here's the neighbor that has the yappy dog. Um, here's the neighbor with the Trump sign. <laughs> you know, <laughs> learning all that good stuff. Right, right, right. Good, good, good. Um, yeah, we've
0: got we got we got that. We we were just uh, walking through our neighborhood and Danny's like <laughs> there's there's a house and again not for for off stock, But there's a house that is uh, around the corner from our house that has this strip of lattice that does not go the whole frontage of their house like it's it's kind of like they got some lattice they dropped it from the um like the the uh it's like the ceiling above a porch, but they didn't quite finish it. And it's been that we've lived in this neighborhood for three years. It has not quite been finished for the entire time. Mm. And and Danny said to me today, as we're walking by this, she's like, I know I've mentioned how much that bothers me, but I think (laughs) one, one, yeah, like it really bothers her. But she said, I think, I think one day this, this week, I'm going to set an alarm for one in the morning and I'm just going to come out and I'm going to take that lattice down, <laughs> and, and I was like, I, "Okay, all right, that's the, the sure
1: that that's that's something that's something that might happen." Um, well, my, my speaking of dog walks and and, and neighborhood vandalism, <laughs> which would be an excellent title for the episode. <laughs> um, the um, my favorite thing to do is when somebody has um, some a bush or something that is uh, on the sidewalk, which is public property. Um, I sometimes I bring little clippers with me and uh, although I haven't done that yet, but I'm like, yeah, I, I think I'm just going to as I'm just walking by, I'm just going to surreptitiously break off a little bit of this. And then over the course of a year, I'll be able to walk unimpeded on the sidewalk. That's hilarious. That's a good idea.
0: <laughs> uh, well, well, there's there's dog. There's dog safety walk. Um, I <laughs> Part of. <laughs> That's funny it really is dog safety walk dog safety walk (laughs) uh um i'm going to (laughs) (laughs) very funny (laughs) i thought i'd throw that in right it's not dog safety talk it's not dog talk like you were we, we were on it's dog safety walk um uh so um I, you know, we, we, we talk about things at the start of the podcast, like things that we're watching and and all that, that good stuff, things that are going on in our lives. Um, the, uh, NHL hockey season has started. I mentioned this in the previous episode that I was, I had like some weird kind of, you know, feelings about watching hockey cause it's, you know, we're, and, and my kids playing hockey and me playing hockey and we're in the midst of a pandemic and all that kind of stuff. But I have been watching a lot of, a lot of hockey and, and other than that, not much else I did. And I, I alluded to this in a, in a, in our episode that we did back in the fall. Um, but, and I, I, I want to talk about something, but I can't quite talk about it yet, but I did, uh, I did help out with a TV show where food safety was involved and, and I, I'm, I, so I did that for like most of last week, as you know, but the listeners don't, but I, I, I promise you that we can talk about this more when, when it all hits and it's all like out there. Um, cause it's, it, it was a very, it was a very fun experience. Um, but I, I can't, I can't you know, and, and we, I, I've got this like contract and, and an NDA a non-disclosure agreement that I can't really talk about it now but I, I, I hope, I hope that doesn't sound weird. I just want, like, I'm, I was really excited to do this and I'm excited to talk about it. And it's a teaser because, and this is what people do in the TV world. They're, you know, come back after the break, um, and find out how this resolves itself. Uh, come back in a few episodes and I'll be able to talk about it. <laughs>
1: that's, that's it. That's all, I'm, all I can say. Um, so, so one, one thing that, Uh, that I did, um, that we, it probably, it probably doesn't make sense to talk about it now, but I can talk about it is that I had the good fortune to be asked by, um, Jason Snell who runs the incomparable network, uh, which also has a show called the incomparable which, uh, according to the tagline, is a weekly dive into geeky media we love, including movies, books, TV, comics, and more, featuring a rotating panel of guests and hosted by Jason Snell. And I had the good fortune to be invited by Jason to do um, an episode on Letterkenny. Yeah, and, and it, hasn't, uh, it has not it yeah, yet posted yet. It has yet. not dropped yet. It yes. looks like this comes out, looks like weekly, essentially weekly, um, and it should be the next one to drop, I think. yeah. So. yeah. And that would be
0: I think it comes out on Sundays, right? If I'm correct. The last
1: one came out on the seventeenth. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So I'm I'm excited for that. And we will um we will talk about that um when when I get to listen to it and, and drop, but but it's it's cool, like um, so we we've mentioned letter Kenny. I think it's a it, the the world of podcasts love this show, right? like the, it's not it's not just us i I've mentioned that I was in on this from the start, mainly because i i it feels like I grew up in letter Kenny uh, and I knew about it before it was on hulu here in the u s because i you know, follow things in the in, in Canadian lore and Canadian culture., uh, but it's I one of my absolute favorite shows. That being said, I have not watched the current uh, season. are you have you plowed through the the one that that dropped uh, over the holidays?
1: Well, so here's the thing. So Jason invited me to be on the show before the holidays, and I saw, oh, season nine is coming out, and it'll drop on. Uh, December 25th and I'm not recording until well into January. So surely I will have had time to watch all of season nine and, um, I didn't. And then I suddenly panicked and I'm like, oh crap. But the, the thing, and then when we talked about this on the, on the, on the episode, it, it goes down really easy. The episodes are not that long. And uh, as I as I, I shared on the show, and I think I shared with you, so there's, see there's, and, and, a, and I, again, I'm not gonna, we're not gonna redo the whole show here, but I was very envious of a couple of people on the, who are guests on that episode, who watch it with their spouse. And uh, as you know, there's TV that I watch and there's TV that we watch. Um, And Letter Kenny is not a we watch show. And so when I first found out about it, I had we I think we, Kristen paid attention for like half of one scene. It's like the it's like the S one E one of The Wire. It's like how can you not want to watch the rest of this? And like S one E one letter Kenny, how can you not want to watch the rest of it? But it, I understand it's fine. Um, and uh, and so then it, it became a show that I had to watch. Um, on my own and my my strategy was every you know uh, when I after I finished my dog walk my lunchtime dog walk I would sit down and make myself lunch and I would sit there and I would watch a, a half an episode or an episode of Letterkenny, and you, you can get through the, the whole thing like that pretty well now This was not the case. Uh, I still had a few more left to do, but I knew uh the episode we recorded, it's still Jason's a West Coast person, and so they recorded at seven PM West Coast, which is ten PM East Coast, which is kinda late for me. And so but basically I just sat in my office and I did some email and I watched some episodes and and by the time we were ready to record, I had finished watching all of season nine. So it, it goes down quick. Yeah. It's it, it, i mean i i love the
0: I, I love the show because of that um and it you know and they're they're quick you know six you know six episode seasons um and it's it but they do good i, I loved um season 8 that was the one um that was all about and i think it's cuz it's close to our lives of I, I, like it's a call in show for agriculture um and i've i've probably well, watched that that season like six times uh
1: i think you're thinking of season 7 oh season 7
0: you're right you're right sorry yeah not season 8 yes um but oh man it's a, it, it is it's a fun it's a fun show um there's uh not like i don't know not not a whole lot of other new stuff that i got going on in my in my life i feel like we're in this like um january genu- post holiday lull a bit right like you, you the, I, we've talked about this in, in the past of like i i feel like as everyone prepares for Thanksgiving here in the U.S., that becomes this delineation of okay, we're now in the holiday season, and there's lots of you know schedules change a bunch, and and then you, that takes you all the really for me all the way through to um, to New Year's, and then then January is a weird kind of kind of kind of time. It feels feels like there's a, a lull. You I get back into my normal schedule as much as my normal pandemic schedule is. Um, and my kids are in school and, and that's, you know, that, that's kind of the thing. And I say in school, I mean, virtually they're not actually physically in school, which, uh, but, but that, that, you know, like, and, you know, I getting up early in the morning with one, one child to make sure he gets to, to his class and all that, that kind of stuff. And it's, it, it, this time of year always goes, I don't know, really, um, I think it goes really fast because it's just repetitive, um, over over and over again. Now, we um, we the good good things that have happened. Um, we have a new uh, federal administration as of yesterday, uh, so that was that's pretty awesome. Um, and, uh, and, and, and I, I just feel like, um, I don't know if you, I, I do want to talk about the, you know, the inauguration and, and all the festivities, but did you, did you watch any, did, what, what was your day like yesterday as it relates to things that are going on in the background or things that you're actively watching around the inauguration?
1: Um, I was looking at Twitter early in the morning. I saw the tail end of the former president. Getting onto an airplane. Um, I kind of wanted to hear what he had to say to everybody before he took off on yeah. an airplane, but I didn't really care hard enough to like look for it at really that much. Um, I saw a lot of people tweeting nice things about the inauguration. I did not really watch any of it. So the what happened to me over the holidays, Ben. I don't know if I've shared this with you. Is we, as they say in the UK, moved house, <laughs> um, and so uh, I've got a lot of. I, I got really behind on work. I got behind. See, I was already behind on work, and I got more behind on work, and then. Uh, like yesterday was me um, talking to a surveyor. It was me talking to a fence company. It was me um, uh, visiting with somebody from the fence company who came out to check my measurements. It was me talking to the, a contractor who I think I think Tuesday was the electrician. Anyway, lots of back and forth with contractors. And stuff like that. So not really paying too much attention. I did know that we had a new president. I had kind of been expecting this for some time, although not hundred <laughs> percent. So I was glad to, glad to see that it finally uh, happened, which is exciting. Um, but yeah, um, uh, so I did. I was really. I did not pay. I did not pay much attention because I had a lot of stuff going on. But I was. I was really happy. And of course, our our writing buddies uh, Twitter thread was full of a lot of uh, you know a lot of people getting emotional. Um, About stuff and that was good. I was I was happy that people were happy and yeah And then just looking at social media to get get everybody's hot takes.
0: Yeah, I was uh, I I enjoyed all the uh, Bernie memes of him looking really cold with his awesome mittens
1: So yeah, so I I saw the memes I didn't see so the actual thing is he was just sitting there and he was sitting away from everybody because of COVID and he was cold. (laughs) Yeah Yeah, it's perfect, right? Uh, And then the internet did what it does yeah. And, and 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 took it men is cold
0: yeah yeah and it was and it was so great that that became the the thing um that that I watched on on the internet and and so much so like that it it has moved into uh moved into today okay. but that's that's what the internet's good for in in uh, shared viewing situations um yeah so I kind of, you know, I, 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 we, we had a, a series of things going on meetings and was working on some, some reviews. And so I had things on in the background. Uh, and, and then I, the, I had a, a, a variety of group texts from different groups of people who are updating things in, in real time. But I was, I was with you. I actually was, I kind of watched the, the morning uh, festivities of uh, the former president leaving and, uh, and seeing what he would say. And, and did you, did you catch his words at all, Don? Like, did you, did, did you hear when he said, uh, have a good, have a great life, have a, have a good life, <laughs> which which was his sign off, which was, I thought was brilliant. Danny and I thought that was the greatest thing ever.
1: No, I did not. Yeah. I did not see that. You know, I don't hear too much from him since he's not on Twitter. Anymore. Yeah, don't, we don't it's see delightful. him a light Yeah. Have, I ha- did I did see Greta Thunberg's uh tweet um <laughs> which was which was pretty was pretty good, so yeah. Oh, yeah.
0: Um yeah, that was the but th- this is a I, I, again, not not to bring things down to the the sub content of every episode that we have, which is the difference between Canada and the u s. but <laughs> but this is what where i i we don't we don't have an inauguration day for a prime minister. um we you know they 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 are um elected representatives that represent their local riding and then you know the parliamentary process then they they go and the government takes over and there's the first day, and some of that's on TV, but it's certainly not like uh, a, uh, uh, you know, this, this massive event every four years that is part of the pomp and circumstance of the, of the U S government. And I'm, I'm constantly in, in awe of that, right? Like this is, it, and, it, and I, it's always the, the most recent one that's, that, that you remember, you know the most but but just how you know everything kind of focuses around this day that starts really early in the morning there's so many traditions of like this is where the new president's gonna gonna stay uh the night before and they're gonna walk across the road and they're gonna go to a church service and like it's the same thing every year every here's,
1: here's where the old president goes to the new president's inauguration yeah it, that didn't happen that didn't happen at this at this one oh. I did. I did. Re- I did read a piece today about how uh, what changes uh, Biden made to the Oval Office, what art he was displaying, and you know things like that. I thought that was kind of interesting.
0: Yeah, it, it's like I mean, all those. I don't know. It's it's such a it's such a focus, and and it's a it is a hard stop to find. You know, this is the day that's going to happen every year, and it's a a full administration change. I mean, it's just a weird, I don't know. It's, it, it becomes such a big deal that I get swept up in watching it. Right. Like I don't really know why, like I'm, hmm. I, but, but it's like, whoa, there's, this is like a, this is a thing. This is historic, right? Like these are, these are big, big events. And, and so, so anyway, that it's was kind of like, like
1: how Americans watch uh, Royal Weddings, I think. Yes.
0: I think, I mean, I think that's exactly the same. Yes. Right. Like you watch some Royal Weddings in America and you're like, why, what is I, I everybody else seems to be watching this. Maybe I should too. And I'm not sure why. <laughs> right (laughs) and and this year i think it was it was different i think the last inauguration in 2017 was also different sort of saying, Whoa, what, what is this going to be like? This one certainly marked a, a, a change in, um, in federal administrative philosophy. So there, there was a lot, you know, closing a chapter on, on these, these last four years. But, um, but yeah, it's like, I remember watching inaugurations when I was in high school, like, like that, this would, this is a, it's a thing. Like Canadian, like my Canadian Facebook friends are, we were we're watching this. Right. And that's the, I don't know. Does that feel like how, do, how does that make you feel as an American? Is that is that weird a little bit like or is it kind of I don't know what are your what, what, what no, is I,
1: I don't I don't I don't think that's weird. I mean, it's you know, I mean, we're uh, we're, you know, declining global power. So, yeah, yeah. What could be more fascinating? Right.
0: But but I mean, I, I don't think I don't know. I'm not watching the um, the the German uh, prime minister's uh, first day. In the same way,
1: right? No, like, but did. I, I, so one of the things. So since this, you know, I'm seeing tweets from, from four or Facebook posts from four years ago, and uh, I had a very a very funny one, which I probably stole from someone. And so something about uh, peaceful transition of power, just like that. Um, Obama is no longer president and Angela Merkel becomes the leader of the free world or something like that, (laughs) Yeah, I I still think is very funny. Um, but yeah, so I I had some hot takes from four years ago that, uh, you know, that, that that came around. So I was, I was interested to see that. So yeah, no, I, I don't think it's, I don't think it's weird. I mean, it's, it's, it's natural, right? It's just like, we're the... We're the big, uh, the big neighbor to the south. Uh, I, yeah, Well, that seems normal. Yeah,
0: it's I, it, I don't know. It's it's, it's all healthy. Should be fine. Normal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I should be. I should be okay. Should be all right with this. Uh, all right. I want to. Um, I want to. I want to change change directions here. Get a little bit into into food safety and. Um, because it's you know it's my show nominally. And <laughs>
1: they're all your show. They're man. all my show.
0: I just get to I like to steer sometimes, sometimes not. Um but here's the here's the thing. I I wanna I, we we have talked um I, I'm sure we've mentioned using uh this service, but I wanna I wanna give an, an actual legitimate shout out to Combase as a thing that is a such a useful tool. Combase doesn't sponsor the podcast, by the way, because I don't think they're, (laughs) I don't think they're real uh, as an entity of sponsoring people. But, um, but it's, it's this amazing repository of data that generates models that anybody can go on once you log in and register and try to answer questions the best you can about growth in certain situations. And, and I, I, the reason why I wanted to do this, I, so I, I, um, I, I help advise a, a company that does some work with temperature tracking. And they're working with a client and, and want to know about growth and delivery stuff, stuff that I know you and I have talked about and you've got, um, you've done some work in this area, but just the utility of walking through with them. This is a bunch of folks who are not microbiologists being able to show them through ComBase visually how pathogens grow at certain temperatures that I can use a slider for why st- T- time temperature, uh, matters in, um, in the business that they're in, but just being able to do that in a way where it's like, Hey, not, I, let me show you this. Let me, let me just log into combase and share my screen and show you the things that I'm looking at so I can help you make decisions. It's, it was, it's a really, like, I don't think we talk about it enough, how great a tool it is. Um, and, and then, uh, th- this is why, wh- why it made sense to talk about it on the Combase um website they have combase testimonials are you aware of this mm-hmm. don
1: i i believe not only am i aware of it i may have <laughs> given them one
0: yes and so so the the person who i'm talking through this with is like whoa you know the the fir- these tes- testimonials this is exactly why we, i didn't know anything about this and so there's one from um uh, phil drongul uh, from, uh, food safety and food technology consultancy in, in New Zealand, who he talks about. It's really important to use this alongside the government regulations. And then the next one down, I'm like, re, you know, if someone's talking about the testimonials. I'm like, Oh, I'll check those out while we're talking through this. The next one down is, and I will quote, <laughs> I've. <laughs> I find ConBase absolutely essential to my teaching, research, and outreach activities. I seldom go for more than a week without consulting it for solving a variety of food safety problems. Donald Schaffner, distinguished professor and extension specialist. And I was like, of course, not only not, like, of course, you have a testimonial there. And, and it is like, it is such a great tool. Um, well, and it's
1: a, it was an easy testimonial to write because I just told the truth. I mean, I I have it. It is it is literally the number two bookmark, and the num- I mean, and then that just means it's one of the key the key commands, right? So it's it's right up there, and I go to it like all the time. And and the other thing too, while we're talking predictive modeling tools, I did. I did send you a, and so one of the one of the great things about about Combase is that once when and they, this is a, something that they've, they've added the, the, you can go into resources and look at other predictive tools and it does a pretty good job of cataloging other predictive tools but there's one in particular um, called MRV the microbial response viewer that I want to talk about at, at, at some point but I mean yeah but I mean Combase is amazing so and and again there's the Combase Database, which is this data repository. There's the combase models, which is really mostly what I use Um, And yeah, and these these are these are great tools that didn't exist 30 years ago and that's why we you know, we we had predictive microbiology and people started building these tools and and They've really in 30 years. They've really become quite extensive and quite useful for solving You know so many problems,
0: right? Yes, and so many problems that that you know I, I can't overstate like things that we are always interested in, right? Killing microbes and keeping them from growing, right? Like and, and the time temperature combinations needed to do to do those things. Um and and so many of my really practical questions that come are answered either with my cursory knowledge of what's in combase or by directly going to combase to to look at it and 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 then but just to be able to like okay let me adjust a few different parameters and and share that with someone to so they can see what i'm looking at it is kind of magic right like it it is um it it gives this really um I don't know, like speci- It has the ability to answer some really specific questions in with with data and models, and and that and there's no like no better thing to to do. And instead of trying to search the literature to find something that is kind of close to what we're asking, it yep. allows us to do even even more. And I love it's, yeah. it's it's awesome.
1: Yeah, I mean, and really, it's about you know, it's about it's about temperature. It's about pH. It's about water activity, and with those with knowledge of those three things, you know it's not it's not perfect, but boy, you can sure get pretty far if you if you have some knowledge and the organism of concern, right? And it gets more. I mean, obviously, there's there's more to it than that, but that but you can get so the the novice can get so far with just that information, and then of course once you get into the weeds and the details, then you need experts. But but you can get so far with just those simple tools that it really. Uh, yeah, I mean just like trying to understand like, well, why is water activity important? Well, why is why is temperature important? Is it does, it does it have to be, you know, does it have to be at 40 degrees? What if it's at 45? What if it's at 50? What if it's at 55? Well, just those small changes, right, are huge. Huge.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well and and in fact, the the things that we were that I was talking about today with this with, with this group that I'm um helping out w- were things about Different types of food products and oxygen, um, like reduce oxygen packaging and delivery, and all this this kind of stuff, and and getting into just like they're they're interested not to make a decision for somebody, but they they just want to know the foundation in the background so they can um, talk about it in a an informed way, right? Like they're they're trying to provide a service and are like, okay, if we are focused on this type of food, what are the pathogens of concern and how do we like manage temperature control tracking for this? Um so it was yeah, it, it was a it's just such a, a like a it, it is the start of most of the places like most of the times I have a question, it's the place that I start to answer it with. Um Right. Yeah. So um I, I got, okay, I got a couple of questions that came in that might be
1: more risky or not. Um okay so are we are we done with combase? Yeah, I'm done with combase. Right, so what do you look, got? I just want, I sent you a link Yeah, yeah. Um, to microbial response viewer and I want I want to just call this out cuz like I said combase has two components, right? It has the predictive models, but it also has this combase database. And what is in the database is actually let's go look at the database real quick and and I'll tell you what's in it. Um, so if you go to combase browser and you look and you just say search with nothing in there, um, you find that there are 59,321 records of microorganisms in food. And and so when you do that that browser search, it reports the results, I think, alphabetically. And so the first entry is aerobic total spoilage bacteria in pre-cooked beef. It's at 4 degrees C. It's at an unspecified water activity and a pH of six, and it says the conditions, it says the journal where it was published, this is an article from 1993, and uh, it shows that there's 135 records there, and and it gives you an estimate of the growth rate, uh, or you can estimate the growth rate based on the data in that record. and. And it's just a mess. So if you had questions about specific organisms in specific foods under specific conditions, um, you could you could search. So you can you can sort by organism, you can sort by the type of food, you can sort by pH range, water activity range, temperature range. And so and and again, information gets into this database by people submitting it. And so, first of all, if you're publishing data on microbial behavior in foods, you should up you should upload it to, to Combase because that's really good. But then once it's there. There's this wonderful tool that was developed uh, basically by some Japanese researchers that lets you go in and visualize that data from ComBase. And so what I'm going to do is like t- t- just follow. Are you in it right yeah, now? Yeah, I'm like yeah. messing around so, in so this So thing. choose, so choose, choose Staphylococcus. Okay. okay. And then what you'll see is you can see a a bunch of different food products. Just choose culture medium, right? that's going to give us the most data. Got it, got it. And you can see there's 1,500 uh, data points. And now what you can do is you can choose two of the axes, and then it will give you um, growth, no growth, right? And so right now uh, I've chosen temperature and water activity. Let's switch to pH and water activity, Okay. So, so pH and water yep. activity, and then you have to pick a temperature range, and let's pick the temperature range 20 to 30, okay, and what you can see is, and let's visualize growth and no growth, and so what you can see here now is the, uh, the red diamonds are growth, and the blue circles are no growth, and so what you can see here is that it, r- under the water activity range of interest, right, which is 1%. Uh, 1.9 to 1 and and pH is greater than 5 You have lots of conditions where you have growth and then under some situ, as you move from pH 5 to pH 4 You gradually move from growth to no growth, but there's also a lot of time where you don't have data right now If we drop down if we choose a temperature range of 10 to 20 now you can see uh, Now that shifts a little bit further and if you go below 10 what you see is well really if you're below 10 you only have growth data at high pH and high water activity huh. And so it's a great way if you have some idea of the organism and you and and for and again for many So for some applications we, we care how fast the bacteria grow, but for many applications We just want to know how do I have how do I have to formulate this food or how do I have to store this food to ensure? That I have no growth. Yeah, and so and again, the, huh. the, this will let you visualize that. And so it's really, and again, it's 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 reliant not on the Combase models, but rather on the COM browser data. And it's just a, it's a really it can be a really powerful tool for kind of saying, okay, what's the effect of this versus the effect of that, or how 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 much do I have to change this parameter to kind of make it quote make it safe?
0: Yeah, this and and one one thing um, just noodling around on this that you didn't mention is if I pick that. That data point oh right yes then it brings up not only some some visual but it looks like it's visual that's pulled out of data sets that were in a in a reference or multiple references
1: yeah yeah if you yeah if you click on the point that's the the actual combase record okay um and in fact i think i don't don't know if you yeah yeah you'd have it doesn't it doesn't identify the record for you um but it does let you you could you could you could figure out from that what the what the information was. So yeah, so yeah so. Well, and if
0: you pick on so
1: it doesn't identify the
0: record, but then if you click on those five data po- Like I'm looking at sausage and Staph Aureus now But if the, it gave me five data points at, at different temperatures if I click on each of those it's gonna take me to the record and um, Like the and, and the chart that's generated from the data set Whoa, oh yes all right cool. and, that, and that does identify
1: the source yes okay. oh yep. it, it, right it does give you it does give you the key right and so i'm looking at one now called b423 underscore 116 and that is the key that would let you go back and, and find out essentially find the same information now in uh in the combase browser Whoa, exactly
0: that's super cool i have yeah. not i have not seen this
1: yeah, this is this is a this is a really nice bit of coding and basically it's all available. I think it basically there's sort of a, a, a back end or an API to Combase browser. And this is just uh, this is just a, uh, somebody built a front end that queries that.
0: Way to go combase for making an API available and way to go, um, the M, uh, MRV folks who made this. This is super cool. This is See now, this is added to my my com base. I, like, see, I, yeah. See, I figured you'd like that. Yeah, I do like this. I like this a lot. Uh, well, hey, so I got it. <laughs> well, this is not a this this is not a risky or not question. Now, I think I want to talk about it now. Um, okay. So I got a question came across my um, uh, agent, uh, family consumer science agents, um, a listserv today, and I'm gonna mm-hmm. I'm gonna read it to you because I want to I. I yeah I want, I want to read it to you and, and get your thoughts on on how to how you would approach this okay. hi all had a client question about using meat that was previously frozen in a soup from that point could the soup be frozen and here's the background turkey meat and bones were frozen after christmas meat and bones were then used to make corn chowder last weekend the recipe made a large volume And they don't want to throw away the rest of it. Clients are wondering if they can safely freeze what's left, right? Okay, so there's the situation. The the agents' um, sort of follow up message to this said, "My first thought would be no. We wouldn't want the turkey to go through a second freeze thaw period. But I wanted to check for to confirm. And I'm going to give you my answer on on how I like what I'd said on this." just so and but it, it, real quick, but I want to I, I kind of want to talk through this because it's it it's not like I said I don't think this is a um it's 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 a little different from risking or not here <laughs> I try to keep it I'm trying to keep it in food safety talk um, so I said I'd I I would hi um, uh, name redacted I would say that freezing this soup and then thawing and heating it up is very 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 low risk. I understand your comment about the danger zone, time, but I would highlight the soup making process would take care of the concerns over vegetative cells, assuming the corn chowder hit boiling temperatures and that it was cooled properly. I don't see any risk difference from this compared to heating up any other type of frozen soup, um, where to reduce risk, we would suggest heating to a boil within four hours. Um, I don't see the need to thaw first either, also limiting the time that the soup turkey is above 41 degrees and below 135 as well. And then I said, maybe I'm missing some info, but with the info you gave, I don't think there's an increased risk. And, and the So, so anyway, am I, first of all, am I missing something, do you
1: think? No, and and I get these questions a lot, and they are common consumer questions, and it basically goes something like this. I have have a frozen X, and I've thawed that, and is it safe to refreeze it? And the answer is always yes. I mean, freezing, if you take things through multiple freeze-thaw cycles, you may degrade the quality. But freezing doesn't doesn't kill organisms, but it stops them from growing. Now, I am I, you could have envisioned some sort of scenario where you you thawed something, you held it in the danger zone, you froze it, you thawed it, you held it in the danger zone. If you did that enough, maybe you could accumulate some pathogen growth. But it's no. But I mean, freezing, you know, you shouldn't you shouldn't repeatedly freeze foods because the the quality's gonna go down, right? So, and I see you just texted me. <laughs> A link to something that says five foods you should never refreeze. Yeah, which I, I I'm I'm ready to dispute that. Right, I've right. Never even read it. Um, <laughs> but no, it's it's it's. So what you're concerned about is like, how did you handle that soup? I mean, here's the, the other thing I say about freezing. I say this a lot is that frozen food is just as safe as when you froze it. Right. So if you freeze a bunch of pathogens when you thaw it, you'll have a bunch of pathogens. Now freezing, you might kill some of them. Right. But but. No, I mean, if freezing takes what's there and it, it stops it from changing, so right, and and it's the freeze thaw process, and this is why, why. I was kind of like,
0: wait, what's happening here? Am I missing something? Because why why am I like why can't I just rethermalize this soup from frozen first of all, right? Like, why am I waiting to thaw it on the counter? Um, or wherever uh, that, that someone wants to thought, but also what like what is it? I'm I'm trying to work backwards. Anytime we have a I have a question like this, like okay, so what what would be like? Am I worried about um, some like heat stable toxins? Okay, maybe if it was temperature abused at any point through the process, but another freeze thaw in the like in a time frame that I can control is not going to lead to this temperature abuse. So right. the link that I sent you, and, and this is one of those the reason why I wanted to talk about it because it, it's one of those like ultimate uh truths, truthiness that's out there, right? Mm-hmm. Like you shouldn't free you shouldn't freeze and thaw things multiple times. And that has lost its meaning, but th- it's lost its science meaning, but the rule still exists. And so it's right here in this uh, article from The Kitchen from 2014 that we will link to in show notes that is uh, named as Dawn said, five foods you actually shouldn't refreeze. And, uh, we'll get through these five foods in a second, but here's why. What happens when you freeze and refreeze, refreeze according to the kitchen, which is like really a pretty good, pretty good site. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty good site. And I say that we've both done lots of interviews with the kitchen. Mm -hmm. They do a good job because they they talk to us Um, and others. Um, freezing anything ruptures some of the cell walls in the product at hand. It's why frozen food doesn't taste quite as good as fresh and oftentimes why frozen foods aren't as expensive as their fresh counterparts, especially meat and seafood. I think we know some folks in the frozen food industry that would dispute that part. The, (laughs) the, uh, it's cheaper piece, but here's where it gets kind of fun. When you freeze, thaw, refreeze an item, the second thaw will break down even more cells, leaching out moisture and changing the integrity of the product. Okay. But the other active enemy is bacteria. Frozen and thawed food will, and I love the wording on this so we can just destroy it. Frozen, frozen and thawed food will develop harmful bacteria than fresh. Once the ice crystals from your food are gone, your food starts the clock on developing these nasty buggers. <laughs> Freezing and thawing foods is a big safety concern and there are legal restrictions for the restaurant and grocery industries to help keep, keep us all safe. Applying these same philosophies in our own home ensure the same, and that is with an exclamation mark. So here you like I wanna let's go through. I'm just gonna list the five foods and then we can we can come back to this. Here are the five foods they say you shouldn't refreeze: raw proteins, ice cream, ice cream I'm with, juice concentrates, combination meals, and cooked proteins. So and and that's it. That's the article. Here are the here are the five things. More bacteria, and this is one. I just think it's like one of these myths that have that's persisted for a long time. That was put out there with all best intentions, right? Like what what were it, this is the the classic, and I'll I'll, I'll, I'll use a, a term or a phrase that one of our favorite podcasters uses in relation to having a conversation with one of his favorite podcasters and co-hosts. This, this is Merlin talking about John Syracuse talking about solving. (laughs) We're trying to solve X, except what we really want to solve is Y, right? Like, like the, the problem here has lost, has really lost its meaning with the rule. And, and now it's, it's really confusing, even for people who are in, Our world, right? Like they have heard, they've heard that this is a problem. So we, I think the answer is it's a problem. Am I right? And and I'm like, no, we let's, let's, we, let's walk through this. Let's walk through why this really isn't any riskier than just reheating frozen soup that I would have purchased at home. If, if I make the assumption that I made this soup and cooled it correctly in the first place, then it's the same as if I bought a frozen soup and I'm reheating it. Uh, Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, let, let's, let's walk through all, cause there, this is a, a frustrating article, right? Yeah. Because there's a lot of truth here. There's a lot of good information here and there's some other stuff that's also good information. And then there's some statements that just don't make sense, right? Like, like here. So, um, raw, uh, raw proteins, this includes meat, poultry, and seafood. If they were thawed in a chilled environment, that's less than 42 like your refrigerator, then it's safe to refreeze. Okay. Uh-huh. But the oh. title of the article is food you should never refreeze. And the first food you're listening is raw protein. So, but anyway. <laughs> but it's safe if you, you do, it, do it this that's way. I mean, this yeah. website is allowed to dither and equivocate, right? Right. Um, but then the next statement, but if they're thought on the counter, well, let's break this apart. If they're thought on the counter, they're done. Um, no, that's actually not true. And finally, maybe we're going to get the, um, uh, our good friends at the, Group that I can never remember partnership for of. food safety education. Yeah, we might get them to move off on that, right? Because there's ample evidence that you can saw, thaw foods safely at room temperature. See an article by um, in Journal of Food in Journal Food Science published in the before I was born, um, and then also some work by Pete Snyder. Um, so, so that's not right, okay? But and then the other part of that phrase if they have an off color or smell. Okay, oh, here's the thing. If you thaw raw proteins and they have an off color or smell, you should throw them away because they have an off color or smell and you don't want to eat that. Yeah. So so yes, don't refreeze it, but also don't do anything with it. Right. Because that's that's not about refreezing. That's about throwing away spoiled food,
0: right? Right, right. And and this is one that I I always want to highlight for us in and and I become more and more aware of this, right? It's, it's an off. It, this is the other, like, you know, this this podcast is about the differences between America and Canada. And it's also about the differences between spoilage and safety. Um, and, 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 and how that contributes to both food disparity and food waste. And those values are really difficult, right? So if I've got, if have got a situation here and where someone is, um, you know, purchasing, past date food or from a, a salvaged grocery store and, and they are expecting slight off color or smell with their food because of oxidation, that's a whole different story, right? So it's, it, it, it puts a, 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 it confounds the problem. Right? Is this a safety issue? Is it a is it a spoilage issue from a, um, a from a quality standpoint? And and I I really do feel and I mean you and I are, are fully on the same page and keep coming back to this. I really do th- feel that we need to make sure we we continue to to delineate that for folks. And, and again, like I said, I'm just so much more aware of that based on work, what we've done with, um, uh, coping strategies for food disparity and food pantries and, and and not wanting to, um, have people throw things out because they think it's a safety issue. Um, and, and when it when it may not be. And that's a t- like the, the, all of this, right? Like and this is why I want to talk about it here and not on the other podcast because it, it this takes a lot of dithering and equivocating to get to the to the point. It's hard to do that in, you know, four hundred words in on an
1: article on the kitchen. So sorry, right. sorry to jump in there. No, no, that's fine. So, so number two, ice cream. Uh, if you left it out on the counter and then forgot to put it back, Drink it as a milkshake or use it for French toast. Okay, that's fine. Refrozen ice cream will have a weird icy texture. Okay, that's fine. But what if I like that weird icy yeah, texture? Yeah, right? There's nothing unsafe about this, right? Now, now what might be bad is if you took that ice cream and it came from a company called Schmoochmel, right? And you were in a hospital and you were making milkshakes for immunocompromised people, and you didn't sanitize the ice cream uh, milkshake mixer. Um, uh, you know, yeah, uh, what's the, what's the, damn, yeah, my blanking on the song? Um, milkshake mixers, uh, they're my, my thing. My milkshake, um, my milkshake uh,
0: brings all the boys to the
1: yard. That's a different one. That's um,
0: the, so, uh, <laughs> uh <laughs> milkshake mixers are, I don't know what your milkshakes is. it a, uh, let me, I, I'm uh, guessing it's a Warren uh, Zevon
1: show. No, song. it's no, it's boom like that. Um, uh, which we'll we'll link to, but I don't want it to play right now. Um, oh I'm going God. to Santa Bernardino. Ring a ding ding, milkshake mixers. That's my thing now. All right. Okay. Okay. I'm I'm uh, I'm I'm out on this one. I
0: don't know this song. We, okay, sorry, I didn't hear any of that because Mark Knopfler was
1: really loud in my ear. <laughs> I well, I was just right. saying I didn't, I don't know that song at all. But oh, this is a great song. So it's called "Boom Like That." Boom um, like that. Uh, uh, I'm going to San Bernardino. Ring a ding ding, milkshake mixers. That's my thing now. These guys bought a heap of my stuff. I got to see a good thing. Sure enough, now. Or My Name's Not Croc, that's croc with a K like crocodile but not spelled that way. Yeah, dog eat dog, rat eat rat, croc style. Boom like that. Oh, your homework is to listen. This is the best song ever, right? Because it's got Mark Knopfler and it's got Ray Croc, and it's got – it doesn't ever mention McDonald's, right? Croc with a K. Uh, this is such a good song. Yeah, uh, this is awesome. Yeah, uh, this, I, this is like this is yeah. Oh yeah, this is this is such a good song. It is it is it is in my mind. It is peak Mark Knopfler, right? Because he's writing about something that's not about like love or you know any like it's he just writes these incredible. I mean, not that I don't like songs about love, it's, but <laughs> he writes these incredible songs about like stuff. And again, none. I I think about this because we're watching just a little bit of um. British uh, TV talk here. Um, we're watching, uh, George gently. Okay. Which is British. Uh, uh, he's a, a detective from London who goes up to Northumberland. And again, I keep thinking about, um, all, all of Mark Knopfler's great songs about Northumberland, including, um, sailing to Philadelphia, which is about Mason and Dixon. Um, and one of whom is from Northumberland and then, um, uh, Y I man, I think is what it's called, which is a song, great song about how terrible uh, Margaret Thatcher was and about how the the, the British um, steelworkers went to Germany and anyway, so anyway, I I'm, I, I digress. Um, we're talking about ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> Don't no, but we're talking about milkshake mixers. Boom milkshake boom mixes. like that. That's my thing. Yeah, yeah, that's my thing. Uh, Anyways, with a K. This, is, this is such a good song. You have to listen to it. Not right now because we're doing a podcast, but I need to go do a deep dive into Mark Knoppler and uh, and all of his great songs. So. Uh, all right. Um, so, yeah. So so ice cream. Not not on the list. Not on the list because it, nothing to do with food safety. Uh, n- number three, juice concentrate. Juice concentrates. Okay. What? Fermentation occurs faster than you think in fruit fruit based products so you want to enjoy them quickly and definitely don't try to refreeze them this goes for blended smoothies too um okay fermentation occurs um i'm not sure how fast um uh you how uh, sarah ray smith i'm not sure how you know how fast i think but i'm pretty sure that you can refreeze now certainly i agree with the statement that juice concentrates left unrefrigerated will ferment But but you can refreeze them. You can you can refreeze smoothies. You can freeze smoothies. That's fine, right? I'm i missing something.
0: Yeah. No. I I I, well. You know what? Maybe we're both missing something. I'm right.
1: But I'm I'm with you. I I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what's happening here. Number number four. I'll try not. I'll try not to do a digression on this one. Um, combination meals. Eat up your casseroles, pot pies, stews, pastas, and the like, or bring it for lunch so it doesn't go to waste. After all, it's cooked and ready to go, so it's the easiest kind of homemade meal to have. That's the whole thing. That that is the literally all they That's said. Not even not even any message about why <coughs> why I shouldn't refreeze it. No, just um, cook them. Cook them. I, I guess. Okay, and then, and then finally, uh, so uh, go ahead. Well, I guess
0: I guess they're just saying um, it's so obvious. Don combination meals. I don't need to tell
1: you why, <laughs> right? A <laughs> good. <laughs> but here's the thing, you have, if, you a, if you have just cooked a big um, thing of lasagna and you uh, live alone or eat small portions, um, y- yeah, you should freeze that, right? Like thaw some, take some for lunch, but, you know, you might get sick of it. And so don't leave it in your fridge for a long time because it'll spoil, but you can freeze it and you can rethaw it and it's just fine. Um, cook proteins. Freezing leftover roasted or rotisserie chicken is a great idea, but then you pulled it out for salads a few weeks later and forgot about it in your fridge. Okay. Um, that's a little weird. Yeah. Um, call some friends over and put the chicken on nachos ASAP because it shouldn't be refrozen. I can't tell you why, but it just shouldn't. <laughs> it just, no, it's ridiculous.
0: Yeah. It, it, this is It's awesome, right? But this is like – so th- this is the part that I feel is – it just proliferates the the myth of this right so someone sees right. it it's in kitchen kitchen's well respected uh, it doesn't matter i mean there's so many other places where I, I, I that was the first the first google that i could find was refreezing food safety and this popped to the top but i'm sure there's 1500 other articles like this over the last decade that says that say the same types of things without any sort of backup from microbiology that's all come from some weird Like probably, and and this is where we're probably, I say we, we in the food science world or extension, we're probably to blame for this at the, at the start of this. If we went back 30 or 40 years, it's probably something that we said that is now just taken into like without context. And now it's in in kitchen,
1: right? Well, I mean, I, I agree with the sentiment that if, so anytime you have multiple steps there's a potential for stuff to go wrong. And, and yes, I could imagine, here's the thing, if you, if you cook a food and eat it, um, and you properly cook it, um, for sure, that's fine, right? But if you start doing other things after that that are more complicated, yes, each of those things, each of those complicated things that you do has a potential to go wrong, but I think this is, I think, again, and this has been, this is sort of a recurring theme of, of mine, and, and of yours, and of this podcast, is well, you know, it depends, and it's complicated. And if you understand that, then you can do more things than we typically tell people in cooperative extension. And I have to say too, one of one of the things that we say about the internet, Ben, is never read the comments. Oh, but yeah. Actually, if you read the comments on this article, there's some pretty there's some pretty pretty uh, heavy shade here, folks are throwing at um, uh, at Sarah Ray Smith, uh, calling her out. So I think that's good. Yeah, no, absolutely, and and just to close the circle on
0: you know uh, the 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 world of USDA and messaging, I, I went to, <laughs> um, and, and so here we go. We go to go to USDA. They've got a, a great um, summary of uh, freezing and food safety. Right at the bottom, they have a section on refreezing. Refreezing once food is thawed in the refrigerator, it is safe to refreeze it without cooking, mm. although there may be a loss of quality during the moisture during lost during thawing. After cooking raw foods that were previously frozen, it is safe to freeze the cooked foods, right? Like it's, I mean, it's right Whoa. there.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, but, but but for when has it been there? Like, how long has it been there? Because because the, right. that message might have changed with people like us bugging them to change it, right? Well,
0: and this was la- This page was last modified um, uh, June fifteenth, two thousand and thirteen. So. Okay. But good, right? Like, and and I guess, like, what I, what I'm saying, calling out us and our community, is it was probably something in the in in the '90s or the '70s when people started, you know, having uh, freezers uh, available at their home. Like, like it's it's like this; these myths get get perpetuated um, over time, and it's so hard to to break it once it's in the lore of what we do. Um, and and then you know, the the I guess the the hard part about it is it's easier probably to find a whole bunch of online because it, it perpetuates. It's easy if, if you're doing research for an article on this to find a whole bunch of places that also confirm this, but also without any data. Um, and it just like spins and spins and spins. And so I don't, I, 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 I really actually appreciate the, um, the the family consumer science agent posting this question on our listserv today because she, you know, she's kind of like coming at this from wait, I've heard this, but this isn't making a whole lot of sense based on my training. Am I where am I wrong? Am I right? I need, I gotta check this. And that was that's perfect. That's exactly why we have a listserv and and ways to to do it. And it's what what I want, like what I want the agents that I support to do and 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 other food safety folks all throughout. Um, the world, just like, let's, let's always drill down to what's the source, right? What, why, why am I making this decision? What's the growth? What, what, you know, what would Combase say? Do we have some data on this? And why, like, why, why would this, what's happening that we're all missing that leads to, to some sort of safety issue? So yeah, it was Ag- good. Agreed. Yeah. Um agreed. One, so, um, so something else that came across that if you, if you will indulge me, uh uh-huh. Um, is this, uh, interesting thread that we got tagged in about <laughs> the one I just texted you. I don't know. No, uh, no, not that one, but that one's good okay. too. Yeah. I was going to, so let, let's do that one. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Cause it's, it it's a, it's a new, it, it, it's close. Okay. So here's something else that we got tagged in. That was not, that was not the one that I was going to talk about, but also really connects to this. So dear bug counter and Benjamin Chapman. I make a lasagna for dinner. It's too hot to put in the fridge that night. What do you do? <laughs> that's that's the question, right? And and so I jump in well, and clearly say,
1: clearly, what you do is you undercook the lasagna so it's not so hot. Uh, yeah. Well, that's <laughs> that's not that's a lie. It's a lie. Don't, yeah, don't take that advice.
0: Uh, so what I what I said. And this is this is someone who I, who I know um, uh, personally this comes to us from SciShell uh, uh, Michelle Jewell, who's a um, uh, she works at NC State. She does um, she's a science communicator in our uh, um, oh gosh, what's the department? Uh, Applied Ecology and Environment Department? Something like that. Applied Ecology. Uh, and, and so Michelle and I, we know each other. So I said, hey, it's never too hot to put in the fridge. That's my first message. Get stuff cool as quick as possible. Um, how deep the pan matters. And and I'll you know, i call it what I said. Less than four inches is ideal. And having it placed on a shelf to allow air movement matters too. And yeah, and then then there there's a whole bunch of other stuff that came out of this. So so where my four inches came from, um, is some. I actually had to go back into the way way back machine because um a, a you know former friend of the show or I mean still friend of the show, but uh, Pete Snyder, who we mentioned, who passed away uh, a couple of years ago, he had this fantastic website, um, called HITM.com, which was like the hospitality. Institute Tourism Management, something I can't exactly remember what it was, but he had all of the references for cooling, um, things that he had published all in one one spot. But since he he passed, the, the website is no longer being uh, maintained. And so, but fortunately there is the, Uh, internet.org, um, way back machine. So I was able to go back and find some materials and, and he provided data about cooling differences between two inch pans and four inch pans, um, in, uh, both home refrigerators and in commercially cooling. So I was like, okay, let's, let's go with less than
1: four, four inches,
0: but, but you're doing some data on this now in, in somewhat real time for Michelle's question.
1: Yeah, so a couple points. So number one, we will link to an article um, that I had the the pleasure to be a part of entitled Quantitative Data Analysis to Determine Best Food Cooling Practices in U.S. Restaurants. And this was a wonderful data set collected by the Environmental Health Specialist Network uh, called SNET. Um, I, I used to say it EHS net because that's how it looks, but if I was told, no, you have to call it SNET. So I call it SNET now. Um and we and we this was a like a said a wonderful data set. And so what we what we've showed with that data is a couple of different things. Um foods that were not actively monitored by food workers were more than twice as likely to cool more slowly than the food code recommends. And so that says, okay, so if you are cooling foods in a restaurant, you need to pay attention and monitor those temperatures, right? Um, Also, food stored at a depth greater than uh, 7.6 centimeters, because this is science, otherwise known as three inches, was twice as likely to cool more slowly than Mm -hmm. specified in the food code guideline. And then finally, Unventilated foods were almost twice as likely to cool more slowly than specified in the food code guidelines, and so, so this is part of why my advice to Michelle was three inches, not four, and then also consider uh, covering with some parchment paper. Some, so because what you don't want to do is you don't want to put a really tight lid on it, because one of the things that happens is evaporative cooling, right? So the energy, the energy in the food, uh, uh, basically causes the moisture to evaporate, and then the the energy that it takes to turn uh, liquid water into water vapor that energy is lost from the food which is what you're trying to do you're trying to cool the food and so you can cover with parchment paper and then I would also say or what you could do is you can certainly leave it on the counter for an hour right uh, or leave it on this you know on the stovetop you know if it's a hot pan don't put it on the counter you'll you'll you know burn your counter but but put it up like leave it on the stovetop for an hour and you're probably fine uh, because at, so the other thing that we should talk about when we talk about cooling is something called the driving force and so food cools Uh, Proportional to the driving force and so initially the food is really hot and the environment is cold And so that driving force is pretty big But then as the food gets colder and colder and colder that driving force is less And so if you look at a plot of the temperature of the food versus time, it's not a straight line It actually curves and it sort of asymptotically approaches the the temperature of the environment, but in the beginning, when the food is really hot and and doesn't really matter so much whether it's room temperature or refrigeration temperature because that driving force is still relatively large. And so that was that was my advice there. And then finally, as you alluded, one of the things that we've been doing in the pandemic is uh, because we needed research for undergrad researchers that couldn't come into the lab anymore is we've been sending – we sent people home with um, – uh, uh, Time temperature loggers, and we said, hey, if next time you get takeout, next time you know you make a, a, a hot food, uh, just put the logger in, put it in your, your refrigerator, and then the next day come back and take the temperature out and collect data on the type of food, the size of the container, et cetera, et cetera, at the temperature of your fridge, et cetera, and then um, we'll take all that information, we'll build a giant data set, and then we'll analyze it and we'll figure out what really matters in terms of. People's cooling of foods in people's home refrigerators and and what we what I've discovered through some data that just my own we, actually, we haven't analyzed the big data set yet, but I've looked at my own data And yeah, you can pretty easily if you take uh, like i mean, gonna make it a lot of rice during the pandemic Because uh, I have one of those cool Zoji Roshi uh, rice machines that will keep the food the rice hot overnight that we know um, we there's shout we, shout shout out, shout out to uh listener of the show uh, veronica for for asking us about that and then me discovering i had the same kind of rice cooker in my, in my house um, but um the uh uh the, if you can pack a, a pretty big tupper if you have your biggest size tupperware container or our biggest size tupperware container you pack that full of hot rice and put it in the fridge overnight, um, depending upon how how tightly you pack it and how deep it is, in the middle of that, you might get uh, food that doesn't cool in in accordance with food code recommendations. Now, the other nuance to all of this is how risky are those food code recommendations versus risk of outgrowth of bacillus cereus or clostridium perfringens, right? Because you can have a situation where you do not cool according to food code, but actually the risk of pathogen growth, the predicted increase, take it back, take it all the way back to our com base discussions at the top of the podcast or the, the bottom, you know, the bottom top. <laughs> half. To, anyway, after the, after the we, after part of the podcast, we started talking about food safety, um, that that part. Um, that, that there are, there's, there's a uh, something called perfringens predictor, which is a specialized model within Combase that's specifically designed for perfringens and in, in cooling of m- cooked meat products. And there's also similar tools out there in, um, CB premium, which is a different tool that you can also get through from that more tools page on Combase for bacillus in, in rice and pasta products, right? Or I think it's pasta products, but it will work for rice as well. And so trying to sort of put a, you know, draw a line around all of that and write up a manuscript is is on my list of things to do in, in 2021. So Woo! yeah,
0: no, it's, this is great. And, and I, I want to, th- this discussion has sort of led to a whole bunch of other, um, comments on this thread from, from Syshell. And one, as you were talking, um, one came in and I've answered. Um, and, and so, uh, you know, someone. Th- what we haven't talked about, is, you know, we're really focused on the food and the cooling parameters once it's in the refrigerator. But this also is kind of like one of these old myths that's perpetuated for a long time. And and this, it just came in from someone named uh, at Dubicon. And uh, Dubicon says, "Doesn't it quote cook whatever's near it in the fridge?" The essentially really really hot food being placed in my fridge is going to raise the ambient temperature of all the food, you know, and impact all the foods that are, that are around it. And this is one where I I couldn't I couldn't find the reference on the uh, Wayback Machine H I T M website, but I I talked to Pete Snyder about this and and so we'll just chalk this one up to personal communication um in the in the reference list for this podcast mm-hmm. but but Pete um Pete told me in discussion about the, the this all came up for me in doing an info sheet like 10 years ago or 12 years ago um and and Pete gave me this this whole sort of breakdown of working with refrigerator manufacturers in the early 2000s uh, about this exact question and how refrigerators have changed what what they do, like back in the 70s, you, you would hear your refrigerator kick on, right? Like it would come on, it would cycle, the temperature would get warm, and then... Um, the condenser would turn on, it would chill the, the temperature down and then your temperature would get warm again. You know, the door would open just over time. The seals weren't, weren't great. Um, and then it would turn on again. Like that was the, the sort of constant up and down, uh, and there would be three or four degree variances, um, within, within your day, maybe even more, um, based on how open your, your refrigerator was. And, and the, the problem with putting really hot food into an old style refrigerator that, that Pete told me about was that the condensers over time would not be able to handle that. They weren't built to run for, say, an hour long. And so it wouldn't be so much that you would cook whatever food is near, but it would overwhelm the condenser system and that that would make it so your, your refrigerator would not perform at keeping temperatures cool all the time. And in fact, might even raise up 10 or 15 degrees, um, in the short term as it tried to like normalize. And, and so he explained to me that that, that whole technology stopped in the, the nineties, and, and so our refrigerators that we have at, you know, in our homes now, I would expect that, you know, are probably not 30 years old, but they could be, some of them might, might be, but if they were made within the last 30 years, that, that that's not the system on on how it works now, it is constantly trying to keep it at a, at a, at a temperature that is, uh, that is constant. It's not about up cycling on and off. And, and that has made this whole idea of like raising the ambient temperature within the refrigerator moot, and that it certainly wouldn't be cooking whatever is next to it because there's just so much, um, uh, other food already at the right temperature that it's that, that refrigerators are able to um, to maintain that temperature and cool what's being cooled.
1: Oh, that's that's really interesting. Yeah. So yeah, and I'm I'm just looking for information on old refrigerators. Um, and yeah, and we'll link to we'll link to the main hi-tm.com on Wayback Machine. But but yeah, if we can find something, yeah. So here here's so, so yeah. So I, I'm finding something on a uh, website that's popping up ads at me um, at on Pixel Fridge, um, <laughs> uh, which says that uh, some older models enter the cycle more than 50% of the time. Yes. Newer models with an ENERGY STAR rating may go through the cycle as much as 90% of the time. And so, yeah, And but but to the question about, it certainly, well, it's not gonna cook foods that are next to it, but what it might do is it might warm up those foods. And so if you, you can imagine a situation where you put your hot lasagna in the fridge, you put a, something cold on top of it, well, that cold food is now going to heat up from the heat coming from the bottom, and also it's going to slow the cooling of that hot food. And so, yeah, if you do put something that's on the hot side in your fridge, best to keep it away from other things and don't pack it against other things because it's going to interfere with the cooling, and it may, it's not going to cook those foods, but it may warm them up, right? And so what the exact effect would be, you know, again, you'd have to do some experiments with thermocouples, et cetera. Right, right, and, and I oh, think... And I, Oh, yeah. what I, I will say too, one of the things that I did, I have limited data on this, but I one of the things that I would do is I put um, a food to cool in the fridge and then partway through that cooling, uh, the thermocouples coming in from the top. So I think what I did is I lifted up the food and I slid another food, maybe another hot food underneath it. And what I could see in the cooling curve, I could see a little bit of a break in the oh, curve. So, yeah. so putting something right next to it. It may not have a, a practical effect, but it does potentially have an effect on the cooling rate that the food is experiencing.
0: Interesting, yeah, and yeah, and that the uh, you know the 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 thought is that that effect would have been larger with older technology of, of oh, refrigerators.
1: For sure, yeah. if, it's, if it's only yeah. if it's only cycling fifty
0: percent of the time, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so something else that came out that I hadn't thought about, and I think that this is, this is an important piece because again, this is the podcast that we do get to dither and equivocate on. Is that we're, you know, right now we've talked about two different factors, right? What about the the food that I'm trying to cool and then the food around it? And let's say just the rest of the food in the, in the refrigerator. But there's a third thing that came up in this thread that I do want to call out, which is depending on your refrigerator, if you have glass shelves, putting really hot pans on those, like directly on those glass shelves can lead to cracking and breaking those shelves, which is a whole other issue. That's not probably food safety related, unless you've got like shards of glass that are falling in other, other foods underneath it. But it's it's also makes this a little more complicated, right? Like my my quick answer is it's never too hot to put in the fridge. And what I'm thinking about is the food is never too hot to put in the fridge. But but we do have to worry about this pan in certain fridges touching or or tray touching this cold glass surface and leading to that, um, to a cracker or, or shatter um, uh, thing. So Randall Ooten, who, um, Ool- sorry, oulton who, Uh, we, we've talked about, and he, he tweets at us quite a bit and we interact a lot. He talked about his fridge has glass shelving. So he sets a towel or trivet or an oven mitt between Mm -hmm. the hot pan, which is a great idea. Like that's, it's awesome. So, and then John Kimble, who also interacts with us a lot on, on Twitter said that he lets his cool a little bit first, maybe 45 minutes. Um, and that'll let the pan come down, but I'm going to try and get it um, hot temp to cold in two hours in my, in my refrigerator. So, so anyways, a great, like, um, you know, shout out to Syshell at Syshell Michelle Jewell for this, this question, because I think it, it, there, there are a lot of pieces to it, right? Like there's this, this is a fun, it's a fun one be, because there is, and, and it comes from this like old myth or old truth or whatever, whatever it is we want to talk about of make sure you cool your food, outside of the refrigerator first before you put it in there and it's like well it's not no i mean don't don't do that let's cool things as quick as can, as we can here are the parameters to think about
1: right and one of the things too that's really important um with respect to the the food code cooling recommendations and also usda fsis appendix b for cooling of cooked cooked meat products is Not all parts of that temperature cycle are equivalent when it comes to Clostridium perfringens risk. So, right, so Clostridium perfringens actually will not grow below about 55 degrees Fahrenheit. And so, after you've got the food colder than 55, from a Per, per point of view it doesn't really matter and what matters a ton is how long does the food spend between about hundred and Twenty and eighty degrees Fahrenheit, right, and right? So so 120 to 80 matters a whole lot more than 80 to 55 and below 55 maybe it matters for quality or maybe it matters for spoilage, but it sure doesn't matter for safety. Right. And so again, that's a more complicated nuanced message. And again, the good news is if it's, if it's a relatively shallow pan, you leave it out of the fridge, you're going to move from cooking temperature down to 80 slightly above room temperature relatively quickly. And then, and then, and then get it the rest of the way um, you know, uh, as you, as you go. And so again, and I think this is honestly, this is an area, um that is ripe for uh, exploratory research. there's very little there's not a, I mean, there's there's models for meat and poultry. There's not a lot done on restaurants. again, see see the article that I published with my colleagues from Snet. Oh, and then there's another one that's coming out uh, where we we published with uh, Nicole Hadine from uh, Minnesota Department of Health and my graduate student Matt and I that I think, I think, just got published, um, and so we'll link to that as well. Um, but, uh, but yeah, and there's, there's, there's a lot more, you know, and I mean, people have studied home refrigerator temperatures quite a bit. And so we have some good data on that. We do need, I would suggest we need more data on cooling and the factors that affect cooling, um, you know, in in ways that are relevant to people doing stuff in their homes.
0: Right. Right. And, and again, just to, to come back, this, it, it leads to, um, Some, some nuance around spoilage and food disparity, right? Like being able to, to manage this for safety without generating more waste that, that someone might look at and say, oh, I just didn't do, I didn't follow what I, what I thought the recommendations were that, that have to do that, that aren't like, aren't safety focused, uh, on this. So yeah, I love, I love that. Um, all right, so so there's there's lasagna. The other one I want to talk about that came from Twitter, if we um, if we can move on, um, is uh, is raw cookie dough. So um, I don't know if you, uh, uh, well, I know you I know you know about this because you've answered the, tweet, the thread. Uh, so so uh, so someone um, tags us in in a thread from uh, uh, someone who we don't know from the internet His name is named Zach Sitchi uh, at. Uh, ZC Z, at Z, Um and so we'll link to the we'll, we'll link to this in, in show notes. But but essentially, I'll, I'll read the thread. My son just heard me rant. This is from Zach. My son just heard me rant for 15 minutes straight. Why eating raw cookie dough is so bad. He thinks I should make a podcast about this. Which turns <laughs> out we already have a podcast about this that we'll make for you. Uh, Um, He said, I don't, he goes on next, next tweet is, I don't feel crazy when I tell people chemtrail conspiracies aren't true or the earth is round actually, but I feel crazy every time I tell someone who's convinced eating raw cookie dough is fine, that it's actually not. There's no belief harder to debunk than this. Um, And then he lists some quotes. Uh, quote, I've eaten raw cookie dough all my life and I'm fine. Quote, my parents fed me raw cookie dough and I eat it and I'm fine. Quote, You've never, you're never, you never taking my raw cookie dough away from me. Here's what CDC says and he links to um a uh, 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 page that CDC has about raw dough that came out post uh, a couple of flour um, related outbreaks. But here's the one that I want – so anyway, we get we got tagged into this thread by um, uh, someone who we you know, I think is a listener to the show, tags us a lot on on Twitter and it's always really great stuff, uh, Garrett Zumini. Um, and so he said, hey, thoughts on this thread? And your response is, it's a good thread. I don't recommend eating raw cookie dough. <laughs> but that's not what I want to talk to you about. What oh, I want okay. – yeah, well, I mean it kind of is. But what I want to talk to you about is, did you see the thing that he – that um, Zach Sitchi posted in this thread, and I'm going to text it to you directly in case you didn't look at it, a product that I was not aware of. And it's Pillsbury cookie dough is with a, 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 a like a, a, stamp on it that says safe to eat raw. And so this comes from, um, the, the link is to, um, uh, Pillsbury's website said, so, uh, headline is Pillsbury cookie dough is now safe to eat raw. Um, and, and it's kind of, it's not all of it, but it's ones that have this little label on it. Pillsbury ready to bake cookie dough products are now safe safe to eat raw. It's the same cookie dough you've always loved, but now we have refined our processes and ingredients. So it's safe to eat the dough before baking. The dough will still bake up in the same as our classic cookie dough. So now you can enjoy the edible cookie dough products before and after baking. And they go through a bunch of frequently asked questions and, um, and, and, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll hit on these. So why isn't it safe to eat most cookie dough? Cookie dough raw, um, and it, they highlight both flour and egg ingredients should be cooked for food safety reasons. What makes Pillsbury's refrigerated cookie and brownie doughs ready to eat raw? Um, and they say we use heat-treated flour and pasteurized eggs, so you can now safely enjoy our cookie dough baked or raw. Um, are all Pillsbury products ready to eat raw? No, um, and then they give a list of uh, of all the products. Um and then they say you know one, the last one is can ready to eat cookie dough and brownies still be baked yes Pillsbury cookies and brownies still deliver the same great baking performance and taste our fans expect. So, first question is: Were you aware of this? Like, I, I, I this kind of blows me away that I missed this. It came out July twenty twenty in the midst of uh, of pandemic, um, right after July fourth, where we were all probably letting fireworks off uh, and socially distanced.
1: But, but didn't people, had, people or, need raw cookie dough now more than ever, Ben. They um, do. I, you know, I was aware. I mean, I know companies. Obviously, we've had past. Egg for a long yeah. time. I know the. I've been working with uh, various entities within the flour industry on flour risk assessment. I know there are companies out there that, prior to the pandemic, had a heat treated flour product, uh, and and so it's not surprising. I mean Pillsbury has been a real innovator uh, in terms of food safety um, see, uh, NASA, has, has a, uh, <laughs> space food sticks. Um, but, um, they're horrible, <laughs> but they're a food of my childhood along with Tang. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, 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 I wouldn't say I was specifically aware of it, but it's not, um, not, uh, it doesn't surprise me. Right. And I may have heard something about this. So,
0: yeah. And, and I, so I was not, I, at least I don't remember this. I wasn't aware of And this is a, this is like a whole fun communication experiment, right? So I could see Pillsbury and we know, we know some people from the, from the Pillsbury, the fine Pillsbury corporation. um, And, and I, I, or what, you know, whoever their parent company is, we know some people that work there. So I really could see um, Pillsbury knowing that there is a lot of raw baked, raw cookie dough um, consumption and they sell a ton of this, this type of stuff. I say that, I don't know what their sales are, but it's got a, there's a whole category in the refrigerated section for this preformed tubes and sheets of cookies. We, we, uh, I, we buy these a lot, like, and i mean, you know, not, not to be all like brandy, but, um, I, you know, Pillsbury, uh, there's a couple of grocery stores that have, uh, ham, um, uh, in, in home brands. Harris Teeter has one that we, that we buy. Like this is, this is a quick and easy cookie, um, uh, solution for us and our family. And, and it has like, since the, uh, flower outbreaks really put me on high alert around, around these. Um, uh, you know, I, have been the, the raw cookie dough police in my house around this, like these sheets. I'd be like, look, I wouldn't, I, I don't want to eat this. And I could, I, I certainly could see, and I know from talking with folks at General Mills and, um, and other places that people were really in, interested in investigating flour, um, thermal inactivation of flour, um, sorry, thermal and activation of pathogens in flour and looking at how the quality changes with this. And, And I could see them doing that to reduce the likelihood of illnesses. I never would have thought of the next step, which is like obvious now looking back on it, which is to say, well, not only have we figured out how to do this and we're protecting people, uh, you know, and and I do trust the, um, the like specifically Pillsbury as as a company to to do this, and and that they have really good scientists to look at this stuff. But also to look at it as also we can market this now. Like I never thought of that. Oh that, yeah, that this is yeah. safe to eat raw. So not all, like and we're going to be a market differentiator. So yeah, there are other cookies, you know, take and bake, cr- crack open uh, tubes uh, that that are out there, but. Uh, You want to eat it raw? Go for it. You want to eat it cooked? Go for it. We're we're good. And this, so I don't know, this, uh, that entire thread, this actually surprised me. And so, Mm -hmm. so I, I feel really good about this. Like, I, I think that this, you know, this answers a lot of, a lot of good questions for me. And I, and I would, again, my, my trust in, in Big Cookie is big. Mm -hmm. Um, It, right but I would, oh yeah I would think that that not only is is Pillsbury, Pillsbury got data on this that FDA who is really really um uh, this is not only on their radar but they are really tuned into this based on that you know like all the the coverage that that the flower related outbreaks got that they they would not let this slip through the cracks like they're th- this this seems like a really safe answer to to eating cookie dough um, It and it, so it's, I, I thought, I think this is fasc- fascinating and really great. And I will look for this label and I never, I never looked for it. I just, I mean, I never saw it. So
1: whew, there you go. Yeah. Well, we don't. We we don't, we, we, those kind of products are not allowed in our house. Um, (laughs) because my wife is a snob. Yes. Um, and so we would never buy that. Although I do have to say with, with the move and with contractors and with everything, um, we did, we, we are, um, we are buying more processed foods, let's say than we have historically. Um, but, but I, you know, I'm my, anyway, there's certain rules in our house and I think uh, that that is a line that, that would not be crossed. Yeah, right, right, right. But, well, but you, but you go for, you, you go enjoy it. I'm going to be, been, you do and, you, you, right? That's ex, the, yeah, ex, exactly. And, and if you would, please also, I would love to, to, to link to the original Twitter thread. If you can just drop I, that in the chat. Certainly, certainly can. Yeah. Um, okay.
0: So I got, if you have time, I don't know if you mm-hmm.
1: have a, what, what, your, what your
0: uh, time frame is. Like. I'm good. I'm good. 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 Okay. Let me, I got one more thing that I threw into Dropbox, um,
1: Earlier today, for us to talk about, because I did I did
0: my homework today, Don. Um,
1: I, I I also want to talk about, um, Mandanai's operating Japanese restaurant, <laughs> because it's just it might be a nice one to end with. <laughs> I love it.
0: Okay, all right. So let's do let's do this one first, um, and then we'll go to yours. Okay, so um, I will I'm going to send you. Uh, well, I'm still trying to figure out the best way to get you articles. You know, we don't have the it, – sometimes it's it, – like I, I want I want links, but I can't always get a link. So I'm throwing PDFs of screenshots into a Dropbox folder. Anyway, this yeah. should allow me to get to um, the actual article, which I will give you a link for here as well. Um, so the the title of the article, which caught my eye, and I've t- we've talked about the counter as being one of my, f- like, new favorite um, – Periodicals that you know daily reads around food and food trends. Uh, they used to be modern something, I can't remember what it was called before, but now they are. Um, now they're called The Counter. Uh, and it is The Counter is a non profit, independent, non partisan newsroom investigating the forces shaping how and what Americans eat. Oh, yeah, it used to be called The New Food Economy. Great, great, um, publication. Uh, just like well-written articles, cool topics. And so, so anyway, the title, the headline, cause it's on my like list of things I look at every day, foodborne diseases kill thousands of Americans each year. Yep. I'm in right. I don't care what this article is about. I'm, will be reading it. Tracing food with genetically engineered spores
1: could help. Oh, oh okay. All right. All right. Let uh, me I'm 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 curious now. I'm okay. I'm skeptical but yeah. I'm curious. I'll keep an open mind. I'm yes. a scientist. So, I went into this. I i I guess I I
0: missed the tracing part the first time I read the article. All I saw in the headline was genetically engineered spores could help. And I was like, "Whoa, what is happening? We have spores that are like somehow going to like eat the pathogens. No, that's not actually the, the case. Basically what this is, is, is a, um, using spores to track the source of product from start to finish. And, and so, um, uh, 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 uh I'll, I'll sort of go through this article. It started with a, um, someone who was going to, um, uh, <laughs> in 2007, Vishal, Vishal Bouyan launched a Kickstarter campaign to raise money for a snack business that utilized water lily seeds. Okay? Got it. He raised more than 25000 okay. ran into issues with the supply chain. Raw ingredients imported from India were contaminated with insect debris, pesticides, and preservatives ba- banned by the FDA. Um, the supply chain was, this is quote, supply chain was so bad that everything had to be thrown out. Um, and so he, uh, to solve the problem, he uh, enrolled in a crash course on genetic engineering and met uh, uh, someone named Ellen Jorgensen, a leading figure in the do-it-yourself biology movement, who has a doctorate in molecular biology. Jorgensen and Bouillon teamed up and co-found Anika Biosciences. It's a Brooklyn-based biotechnology co- company that says it's able to quickly identify the source of food contaminations or pathogens by using genetically engineered bacterial spores that cling to food. And, and that's where things go a little iffy for me. <laughs> okay. So that sounds awesome, right? Like, like let's just take that sentence. If right. you could identify the source of foodborne contaminations or pathogens by using genetically engineered bacterial spores that cling to this food, that would be a huge win. It's not really what they're doing. Right. So so their spores contain DNA barcodes, quote, that can be scanned to identify a food's origin down to a plot of land on the farm. Well, okay, how would I do that? Um, and, and so the, here's how the technology works. Bacteria are first genetically engineered with a unique DNA barcode and then coaxed into a vegetative state that makes the bacteria resistant of a slew of environmental onslaughts. I don't think they mean a ve- – well, I, see, this is where biology gets a little finicky. I think they're talking about spores, not a vegetative state, but I guess mm-hmm. they're talking about like a vegetative state in the sense of not, not vegetative. <laughs> uh, anyway, the spores can be added to water and, and attached to crops as they are being washed. Then as the plants move through the supply chain from farm to harvester to distribution center, the genetic barcodes within each spore can be scanned to identify where each plant came from. So so Dawn, let, let me just like tell you what I think this is doing. If you are a supplier to me through a really fragmented supply chain, I need to get you a bag of my spores. You're gonna put the spores in the water that you wash the things that I'm gonna buy from you in, And then at the end, I'm going to use some DNA barcode technology to check to make sure that the stuff that you sold me has the spores that were in it at the start. I I don't, right? Is
1: that, that's kind of what, like, what I think is happening here. Do you see it differently? No, I I think, I think that's it. And there's a picture here in the story saying bioengineered spores can be sprayed directly onto plants or can be added to leaves. Uh, as as leaves are washed after harvesting, and then there's a picture of a person wearing a purple glove, delicately spraying a leaf. And I don't know how much you know, Ben, about how the food industry works. It's a it's a low margin business, and I don't think we have time to give people little spray bottles. I mean, it's a cute picture in this economy. D- sorry. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, thank you, thank you. I was I was waiting for that. <laughs> um, yeah. So I mean. I mean, I guess barcoding is cool and you can, I get, I get that you can barcode spores. It's the magnitude of the problem. Like how, how many spores would you have to make and put into food? And again, um, I'm not, I'm not super happy with putting a bunch of bacillus subtilis in my food because Again, you know, Bacilla, Bacillus thuringiensis we use um, as an insecticide, um, but some of those species do make uh, toxin. So, um, yeah, uh, it's is uh, it, hey, a hey far out there technology, but I, it's a little, it's not quite ready for implementation yet. I think. Well,
0: Booyan asserts that these are quote food safe.
1: So okay, there you go. Go go for it. Um, well, and then there's also like, okay, so how many, how many bacillus subtilis spores would you need to put to be able to find them? And then what's that going to do? Like if all of a sudden I'm getting a lot of, uh, spores in my, I mean, we have to, you know, people do, um, total plate count as a quality measure. I mean, how, what's the sensitivity, how much would you have to add to it? I'm, let's just say I'm skeptical. I, you know, here's the thing, Ben. Advanced technology is cool, right? Like and I think I think spore technology is cool. Like I'm a huge fan of the spore drive. Uh, do you know about the spore drive? No. Or, oh wait, right, you're not watching Star Trek Discovery. No anyway, um, so we'll link to we'll link to the uh, spore drive which is the the a uh, technology that's being used on Star Trek uh, Star Star Trek uh, Discovery um uh, and that is a very cool technology that also does not yet exist in this universe. <laughs> excellent,
0: excellent, excellent. <laughs> this technology exists but it's not implemented yet. Okay. Yeah. Well, so so here's the other thing, right? For for me on this. Um they 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 highlight a whole bunch of stuff related to um, to lettuce, right? They say that I, um, uh, this is, I feel bad about doing this kind of stuff. So, but not really. So, so when I go into a bag of lettuce, that's at my grocery store, I I, all are all the leaves in that bag, all coming from the same farm. Almost certainly, probably not (laughs) almost certainly not Probably Almost certainly not. And so, so what? What they're suggesting this technology would allow them to do is to take all the leaves, or take a leaf, and track that leaf back to the farm, and this would somehow speed up the traceability, um, sort of like complicating traceability that that we've seen in in leafy green outbreaks. But here, like, it's that that means that I someone needs to apply this at, at at the front end, right? Like in production or in harvest that these spores would then they would attach, I guess, to the, um, to the leaves, but also survive the triple washing process that's designed to remove a lot of stuff, right? Like that, I think that's a, a limitation here. And then it would, if I'm, if I've now I identified a cluster of illnesses that are linked to consuming leafy greens, I need to have bags of it so that I could go in, which is not something we know. Cause we talk about this a lot. It's not something that we often have where there are bags that we can find the pathogen in, but now I've got to find bags that have specific lot codes. And I, I think the way that this reads to me is I got to go in and separate all of the leaves and now find out which farms that each of these leaves came from, and I don't think that gets me any closer. Like, so say this leaf that I pull out of this bag that I know was not, um, did not cause the illness because my investigation happens well after the illness has happened. That this bag with this this, this lot code came from these farms, I think I can already kind of do that. Like, I, like in a lot of the traceability systems, like I, I should be able to tell you which of the farms were packed in that lot. And so now I got to go leaf by leaf in a bag to try and also get that same information. I don't actually think this helps much. That's my, that, that's my big, big take. And certainly it does not do the, it doesn't identify the pathogens, Right. And that, that, that's the way that this is sort of portrayed in the, in the article. And I'll, I'll read that, um, that, that passage again, Brooklyn based technology company says it's able to quickly identify the source of foodborne contamination or pathogens by using genetically engineered bacterial spores that cling to food. I don't, I don't think they can. I think it can tell me a lot about if you gave me that bag right now. You could I I could tell you about the source that it was sprayed and it and it moved through the through the supply chain Assuming that it will stick through the triple wash process and I, I even that I'm skeptical about
1: So, well, let me let me let me throw another hitch in the giddy up here. Um, that's a that's a thing Um that we do. Um, so all right Let's say i'm a farm and i'm using these barcoded spores that are barcoded for my farm um, and then um, what what happens at the end of the season, right? And right. then, do I have a unique barcode for my farm? What about next year? And I do I get a new batch of spores? What happens to the old spores? How? What about what would the, could these spores get into the groundwater and run over? Because these are spores; <laughs> they'll turn into cells, they'll turn back into spores, they'll move around the environment. Ooh. What about if they move over to the farm next door? Right? I mean, yep. these are yep. these the, these are biological entities, and they they now are now loose in the environment and they're moving around. Right? So how? I don't know. It just yeah. seems uh, yeah. it just seems like there's um, – it seems like there's – I mean it's a it's a cool technology just like the Spore Drive, but I'm just not sure it's ready for primetime. Yeah, yeah. Although the Spore Drive is ready for primetime because Star Trek Discovery is TV primetime. Yeah. <laughs> it's ready. That was actually legitimately ready
0: for primetime. It's there. It's like <laughs> – uh, yeah. So, so anyway, this is what and, – and this is – When we're in our kind of zone of trying to read stuff and seeing things, I am always hopeful that this is, like, an awesome technology. I just don't – it's not to say it's not an awesome technology. I just – I think there's a lot of limitations. And this is – you know, we talked about this in the last episode. This is the type of thing that I think – um, they're, they're, you know, clearly the, the, this group wants to sell this technology. I'm sure they're working with folks or, or maybe not working with, but, um, marketing to folks who we know in the, in the industry, trade organizations, produce, leafy greens, who, whomever. And, and I think this is the, it, it goes along the same line of that conversation in the previous episode about how do we help the industry evaluate these new technologies? And what are the questions that we ask? And I think we just, we highlighted a whole bunch here for this one, but I, I well, don't,
1: Yeah. Yeah, and, and you know, in, the, in a f- f- fairly close to the bottom uh, paragraph here, um, uh, they're working with a bunch of different companies, including a range of non-organic items, I think that means non-food items, right? Uh, they're working with meat, dairy, cannabis, coffee, leafy greens, and a range of non-organic, and they have a collaboration with the diamond company, the De Beers Group. So I'm thinking you want to implement this technology? B- probably better to start with diamonds, right? Yeah, big margins. Big margins, right? Um, and then, if you're going to move down into biologicals, maybe I'd pick cannabis next, and, <laughs> and then I'd pick coffee. Yes, yes, right? yeah. But of course, coffee does not have very many food safety problems. No, but, but so, but so this, and neither do diamonds, I suppose. <laughs> but obviously, this is a trace. This is a technology traceability technology thing. And so, I mean, again, it's it's cool technology. I just think. I just think it's not ready for the food industry, for sure, especially a small margin product like leafy greens, where you're, you know, it's it. It just, I just don't think it works.
0: Right, right, right. Yeah, no, I I agreed, and I'm gonna, you know, provide some more unsolicited advice to them. Um, that, that comes from the, cause that's, that's what we do here. That comes from the last, uh, um, last paragraph uh, and, and my unsolicited advice is, Hey, maybe get a risk communication person to help you guys with your messages. Uh, because the last paragraph is as for consumer concerns, Buyan said that even if spores did end up on your dinner plate, the average person poops out thousands of bacterial spores every day, a claim supported by a recent study. So quote, so we don't think this will be a problem.
1: Um, I don't know. Wait, uh, even if they did end up on your dinner plate, they're going to, that, that, that the technology doesn't work unless they end up on your dinner. Plate.
0: Exactly. Yes. Yes. Yeah. It, 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 right. They need to be on my dinner plate uh, for, for this to all work. But I guess see um, skepticism about vaccines uh, as, as a place to start on the importance <laughs> of using risk communication in uh, new technologies.
1: <laughs> yes.
0: Um. All right, so uh, so let's let's end on this one. So I, I can't find the link. Do you have I'll, it? The, yeah. It,
1: okay. Yeah, I'll 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 paste it to you and I'll I'll talk for a bit here. Perfect. So so again, this is comes to us from um, a friend of the show, Keith Huss. Uh, not a bot. Uh, I get So his Twitter handle is Keith Huss. His name is not a bot. Um, (laughs) so I'm a little puzzled. Um, so, and I did not know this about, about Keith. Um, so Keith is a 2013 Appalachian trail through hiker. So that is very cool. So I, I have, I am not hiked the, I have not I have not through hiked the Appalachian Trail. I have not section hiked the Appalachian Trail. I have hiked on the Appalachian Trail uh, with Boy Scouts. I am a proud supporter of the uh, ATC, uh, and I send them money every year. I also am a member, a card carrying, uh, hat wearing member of the New, Jer- New York New Jersey uh, Trail Club, um, and I do I do send them money every year. So so yay! And there's a very wonderful in in uh, don't be creepy, but in Keith's uh, bio, there's a wonderful pic of. Uh, two bearded men at the top of the end of the trail in Maine uh, Katahdin, and I'm not sure which one is Keith uh, but 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 that's very cool and I did the, I don't usually see that picture uh, when when I look at, at Twitter so I, that was just very cool so anyway so so anyway Keith goes this is on uh, from January 10th uh, he tags <laughs> us into a, a tweet from Mike Bird uh, who's the uh, handle, uh, birdie word um he says bug counter uh, Benjamin Chapman I thought you might enjoy this food safety happening, um, and, and then Mike Bird writes, I get a huge amount of enjoyment from the arc of long-running local news stories, and, and let me see if I can get this thread to open up um, without losing my Twitter page. No, I can't, so we'll go back to that, um, So um, <laughs> and so there's just a bunch of screen captures here. Um, uh, Eastern Daily Press, uh, I haven't turned my house, and so this is from January 10th. <laughs> I haven't turned my house into a Japanese restaurant. Norwich. This is from England. Norwich man claims, um, May twenty eighth, twenty twenty. You can dine in or have a takeaway. Fresh probe over fresh takeaway. Fresh probe over Japanese restaurant run from Norwich home. Uh, May twenty eighth, twenty twenty. Man denies running Japanese restaurant from Norwich home for the third time. <laughs> December fourth, twenty twenty. Um. But here's the here's
0: the 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 chef's kiss.
1: It, it's coming. Man who denies running restaurant at home given food hygiene rating. <laughs> this January 9th, twenty twenty one.
0: So I got I, I got to jump. I don't know if you went and looked at this, these articles, but I, the, I I did not. So the last one is amazing. And so I, let me read to you from man who denies running restaurant in home given food hygiene rating. So the picture. Um, so the the man's name is Orlando Williams. His home has has a sign above the front door that is illuminated neon sign that says Orlando's okay <laughs> So, a man oh, who ben, yeah on,
1: don't you have a sign over your front door saying Ben's, Ben's, and I
0: have one saying Don. Uh, a man who was repeatedly denied running for a Japanese restaurant from Norwich home has been given a food hygiene rating for the bed and breakfast he legitimately runs. Orlando Williams, who lives on Earlham Road, has continually denied a restaurant and takeaway from his property. And despite his illuminated sign Facebook page and the fact is this newspaper being able to take away uh, to purchase a takeaway mail from him, <laughs> that he's advertised it. um, Norwich city council last month said there was quote, no evidence of this Ill- illegitimate restaurant in January, 2019 though, Mr. Williams was granted permission, uh, to use the five bedroom in his house as a bed and breakfast. Um, and so it, the kitchen was inspected by hygiene inspectors. Uh, <laughs> he was criticized for allergen management and record keeping. He came away with the second highest rating possible. The inspector praised the food handling, hand-washing, and hygiene standards of the business,
1: granting Orlando's four-star rating. It's just awesome, though. So, so-, so here's 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 a review, okay? Uh, th- this is from later in the Twitter thread. My experience of Orlando's. Most restaurants do not send you round the back to collect food. They also do not tend to run from a seven-bedroom home on a residential street with a large illuminated sign. That the owner has been forced to clarify is just his name. <laughs> <laughs> but as I discovered, after a two-minute phone call and takeaway a few days later, Orlando's does. I was surprised at how easy it was to order from Mr. Williams, who I, who, who I had anticipated to be cautious about the initial story. We broke more than one year ago, hit national headlines. But after a short call, I was sent a menu by text message and the opportunity offered to eat in when asked for the dining options upon collection. Mr. Williams was insistent. I picked up the food from the back of the house where I was also handed a separate menu for quote, eat in customers and a business card with dinner opening hours. We will always support businesses in our city, but are obliged to investigate when we feel the rules are not being adhered to.
0: Oh yeah. Mr. Williams (laughs) is denied his house being used as a restaurant on three separate occasions. Um, Mr. Williams has been reminded, this is a quote from, uh, from city council spokesperson, quote, Mr. Williams has been reminded that he only has permission to trade as a bed and breakfast and not a restaurant. Oh, ah. uh, well, it is great. This is a good one. Man who does not uh, deny it. He's got, I, I just think that the headline, like I <laughs> want to write headlines for the Eastern Daily Press.
1: Exactly. This whole story arc of headlines is amazing. It
0: is. It is like um, – it's like uh, Afterlife, the the great uh, Ricky Gervais uh, show. Got, you know, he's a the, the small local newspaper. This is the kind of stuff that we would get covered there. Oh, I love it. Orlando's. I, we, You know what, Don? When we are able to go on tour, um, I think we should lobby hard to go to the UK and, uh, and let's go eat at Orlando's. Let's go. <laughs> let's do a field
1: trip. Hey, so so some breaking food news. Um, it appears that President Biden has removed the red button on the resolute desk that former President Trump used to summon a White House butler with a Diet Coke. Oh, well, that's that's, not, that's disappointing.
0: That is disappointing. You should get, put that back up there. Get your, get your, get you, uh, yeah. Uh, all right. Well, um, okay. Uh, I think that's a show. What do you think? I think so. I think that's a show. All right. Uh, Well, as always, great to talk to you. We'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Was fun it was good it was, was good good one yeah yeah don they're all good <laughs> exactly uh okay so next week is totally out for me but that's okay because we were looking at the week after um what does wednesday february 3rd in the afternoon look
1: like to you Right, so that is the week I am doing a better process control oh, yeah. school. We've already. It's okay. It, yeah. So that's okay. So February third in the afternoon of uh, third oh, should be fine. Let me see. Oh, but oh, but I have other stuff going on that week too. Yeah, yeah, that's the Remember, problem. We, have, went, uh, we We did the oh, actually. Um, no, actually, I could do. Uh, I could do two o'clock on Perfect. Wednesday. Yep, that's a go. I have Wednesdays are
0: are my good my really good days. Wednesdays and Mondays. Okie dokie. Done. Two till four booked. Um, and then we're good for the first uh for risky or not at four o'clock. Uh and then I will uh I'll try and edit this tonight when I'm avoiding doing a review. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> that also you are now involved in. <laughs> well, I did I did recommend about four other <clears throat> we shouldn't talk out of school about stuff like this, but I, it's, I mean, you know, you're, you're really good at what you do, but this is not what you do. No, I'm not. Yeah. Yeah. But that's so all right. I would encourage you to, to give it a, a review that basically points out the stuff that they get wrong about what, it is that you do. And, um, I, I did give the, uh, the editor four solid recommendations on people who do modeling. Um, cause this is, I mean, this is really modeling stuff and, and, and I gave four people that would give critical and, and would, would likely also be responsive. Not that you're not responsive. No, but, but I'm not,
0: <laughs> I'm, I'm not. Uh, cool. All right. Well, I'm going to try and get through that tonight. Um, and then I've got, uh, I'm on a panel too for USDA that I got to get everything done for that. Um, yeah, Cool. All right. Well, you're, you're doing, you're doing a, a food safety USDA grant panel. I'm doing a, a postdoc predoc uh, oh. grant panel
1: next week. Yeah, good, good for you. I turned down one of those because my life was just a hot mess. But yeah. I'm really glad that you did it.
0: Yeah, me too. I'm, this is the first one of these ones that I've been on, um, and so I'm I'm excited. There's some good. There's some really good projects. It's it's
1: that's, that's yeah. good. I, I like I like the ones where there's good projects that you like giving like like you like the chance to give them money. You know. Yeah.
0: Right. 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 Yeah. These are really good. <laughs> um cool all right well i will uh i will chat with you later all right and i'm dropping show notes and titles in dropbox right now perfect i actually took some some titles this week too usually i listen to it afterwards and then like pick out some stuff but i got some good ones in the in in, like caught up in big cookie and hitching the giddy up crock with a k some good ones today. Cool. I got trust in big cookie too. I think that might be the go-to. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. Uh, dog safety walk also on the list. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> All right. I'll, uh, I'll talk to you later. Bye-bye. Bye.